Welcome to Celebrate Poe, Episode 7, Poe's Parents, Shakespeare, and Lady Gaga. My name is George Bartley, and the intro song to this podcast episode, Come Rest in This Bosom, is said to have been Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. In this episode, Mr. Poe and I will continue to take a deep dive into the times, life, and works of America's Shakespeare. First, I would like to know from Mr. Poe about uh, how David Poe Jr., his father, became part of the family. Certainly, Mr. Bartley. You see, as I have previously mentioned, my father had moved to Charleston hoping to find more opportunities in the theater. One day, he saw my mother on stage, became enchanted with her overall demeanor, and decided to join her acting troupe. Six months later, the two were united in holy matrimony. An immediate result of the marriage was that my grandfather became even more angry. Fortunately, the birth of their first child, William Henry Leonard, two years before my birth, resulted in what one might refer to as a reconciliation between David Sr. and David Jr., Now, my mother and father traveled throughout the Northeast, playing in such areas as Philadelphia, then Richmond, and New York City. The Poe stayed in Boston for three seasons of 30 weeks each. To give one an idea of the theater capacity, the Boston Theater House where they were performing could hold an audience of about a thousand people. And when my mother appeared there, Newspaper reviews remarked on her interesting figure and sweetly melodious voice. My mother and father continued acting, and while my mother was always well-received, the same could not be said about my father. Mr. Poe, why, why is that? One must understand that my father was extremely sensitive about what has been described as his extremely limited acting ability. It is said he was hot-tempered and frequently drunk, tended to become most angry, and had difficulty in keeping a job. While my mother was praised for her abilities as an actress, my father was harshly criticized possibly because of his own stage fright and alcoholism. That must have been difficult for your mother. It definitely became a constant travail. Well, Mr. Poe, I ran across what is supposed to be the only communication from your father, one that he wrote to his relative, Mr. George Poe. Yes, my father was quite angry when he wrote thusly. Sir, you promised me on your honor to meet me on the 23rd. I promise you on my word of honor that if you will lend me 30, 20, 15, or even 10 dollars, I will remit it to you immediately on my arrival in Baltimore. Be assured I will keep my promise at least as well as you did yours, and that nothing but extreme distress would have forced me to make this application. 
Your answer by the barrier, bearer will prove whether I yet have favor in your eyes or whether I am to be despised by, as I understand, a rich relation because when a wild boy I joined a profession which I then thought and now think an honorable one but which I would most willingly quit tomorrow if it gave satisfaction to your family, provided I could do anything else that would give bread to mine. Thank you, Mr. Poe. Your father does appear to be pleading, while at the same time rather angry in that letter. In reflecting on the contents of this letter, I am somewhat ashamed to say that it sounds like the kind of self-pitying letter begging for money that I frequently wrote to friends and relatives during my mortal life. Mr. Poe, don't be too hard on yourself. I know this might be difficult for you, but talking about your life will help listeners of this podcast to understand your literary works more. Every writer is especially influenced by his or her life and times, and that is definitely true of America's Shakespeare. Thank you for your understanding. If you do not mind, I believe I will take a temporary respite for the remainder of this episode. Uh, Mr. Bartley, uh, do you find that agreeable? Uh, yes, Mr. Poe, that might even be preferable. I plan to discuss further the dynamics of the pose as an acting couple. I was into Poe for years before I think I really began to appreciate the nature of the productions in which Poe's parents acted. David and Eliza Poe, like most of the actors during early American theater, were members of a repertory company. For the first time in my life, the nature of a repertory company really hit me, that the Poes were engaged in what has to be one of the hardest forms of acting. Now, I am far from an actor, but I did regularly interpret for the deaf for the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia a great group of repertory actors who were always busy. I got to know the actors as individuals and the tremendous amount of work they constantly put forth trying to keep several parts and several plays constantly ready. You see, acting in a repertory company is not like learning a role and playing just that one part while you keep it fresh in your mind. A repertory company, such as the one that David and Eliza acted in, required the actors to have hundreds of roles ready to perform, usually several roles ready to perform at any given time. Now, the great uh, author Hobson Quinn, who authored what is perhaps the leading biography of Poe, has compiled a great list of the plays that David and Eliza starred in. And while many of them are not familiar to us today, a look at the more famous Shakespearean roles can tell us a lot about the dynamics of Poe's parents and their relationship. I took a spreadsheet, now this is where it really gets nerd-like, and entered the Shakespearean roles that David and Eliza played, the number of lines in each role, and compared the size and importance of each part. I know there are no small parts, just small actors, but just stick with me, and I think you will see where I'm going with this. In my spreadsheet, I used the total number of lines that the part has in the written version of the play. 
Now, I know that a play such as Hamlet is over four and a half hours in length, but most acting versions are cut down to at least half that length. I doubt there is any way to know how much a director from uh, early America uh, cut out of, of the play or edited it, so I used the complete version of each part for comparison purposes. I apologize in advance because it really gets nerd-like now. David Poe, in six years on the stage, played 137 parts, but many of those were parts where he just stood there and said nothing. Nineteen were from Shakespeare. Edmund in King Lear is 79 lines. Hortensio in The Taming of the Shrew is 70 lines. Laertes in Hamlet is 62 lines. The Duke of Albany in a production of King Lear is 58 lines. Rosencrantz in Hamlet is 40 lines. Uh, Decius Brutus in Julius Caesar is 37 lines. And now don't confuse this with the part of Marcus Brutus with over 700 lines in the same play. Then you've got Ferdinand in The Tempest with 31 lines, Mantano in Othello with 24 lines, Bernardo in Hamlet with 19 lines, Selenio in The Merchant of Venice with 18 lines, Duncan in Macbeth with 18 lines, The Duke of Austria in King John with 16 lines, Donald Bain in Macbeth with 3 lines, Sir Richard Vernon in Henry IV, Volusius in Coriolanus uh, and Radcliffe in Richard III, all non-speaking parts. Now, altogether, that's an average of 27 lines per play. I did leave out one part, Don Pedro in Much Ado About Nothing, because that had 139 lines. That one throws everything off and is the exception. Uh, by the way, Amazon Prime has the great 1993 version of Much Ado About Nothing with Denzel Washington as uh, Don Pedro. It's a good, solid role. In other words, most of David Pohl's roles were comparatively small. And if you're still with me, thank you, thank you, thank you. Eliza, on the other hand, had many roles in musicals and comedies. She was evidently an incredibly talented singer and comedian. In her 16 years on the stage, she played over 200 parts. Regarding Shakespearean roles, uh, and this will be just six, or excuse me, 14 parts, she also starred as Desdemona in Othello for 165 lines, Juliet in a Romeo and Juliet for 118 lines. I always thought it was more than that. Regan in King Lear for 73 lines, Ophelia in Hamlet for 58 lines, Ariel in The Tempest for 45 lines, Nerissa in The Merchant of Venice for 36 lines, Cordelia in King Lear for 31 lines, just seven more of these, Jessica in The Merchant of Venice for 26 lines, The Prince of Wales in Richard III for 19 lines, Valeria in Coriolanus for 14 lines, Mopsa in A Winter's Tale for 13 lines, Blanche in King John for 9 lives, almost over here, The Duke of York in Richard III for 6 lines, and Prince John in Henry IV as a non-speaking part. So in comparison to David's 27 lines apart, Eliza had 44 lines for each part. In other words, with the exception of Much Ado About Nothing, her parts had almost twice as many lines. She was obviously the superior actor. Acting was in her blood, and the stage was her element since childhood. 
Now, one way of looking at an actor's talent is to look at other actors who have played the same part. In other words, is this a juicy role where the actor makes a big impression? Eliza played some incredibly showy parts, roles that were later played by some of the greatest or most popular actresses of all time. In 1964, for example, Dame Maggie Smith of Downton Abbey played Desdemona opposite Sir Laurence Olivier in Othello. Maggie Smith had earlier won a Tony for the Broadway version. In 1996, Claire Danes of Homeland played Juliet opposite Leonardo DiCaprio in Romeo and Juliet. In 1983, the late great Dame Diana Rigg of The Avengers and later Game of Thrones played Reagan in King Lear with Sir Laurence Olivier. Last year, Daisy Ridley of the Star Wars franchise played a version of Ophelia from Hamlet in a movie called Ophelia. And in 1996, Kate Winslet from Titanic played Ophelia in a star-studded four-and-a-half version of uh, Hamlet. Um, well, I mean, for a four-and-a-half-hour version. It was long. <laughs> These are all showy roles that require an extremely talented actress, and Eliza Poe played all those parts. About the only showy part that David Poe uh, Jr. played that was Shakespearean was Don Pedro. It could be said that the situation with the pose sounds like something from A Star is Born. The wife is extremely talented and well-received, while the self-destructive husband becomes less and less popular. The dynamics between accomplished wife and unhappy husband could not have been easy for David to handle. He and his wife were in the same profession, but she was easily twice as talented and successful. Most husbands, especially in the early 1800s, just wouldn't be able to deal with the situation. In fact, David Poe was to later desert the family. And despite her occasional popularity, Eliza Poe was barely earning enough to get by. The next episode of this podcast will deal with Edgar Poe's birth into this miserable situation. Sources for this episode include Edgar Allan Poe, a critical biography by author Hobson Quinn, The Poe Log, a documentary life of Edgar Allan Poe by Dwight R. Thomas and David K. Jackson, Edgar Allan Poe, The Man by Mary E. Phillips, Edgar Allan Poe by George E. Woodbury from the American Men of Letters series, and Life of Edgar A. Poe by Eugene L. Didlier. I encourage you to ask questions from the character of Mr. Poe or even myself at celebratepoe at gmail.com. That's all one word, celebrate, then at gmail.com. There's no need to include your name unless you specifically say you want a shout out. I do have a few questions from my days at at, uh, History Alive as Poe, but I want to deal with the subjects that you are most interested in. Again, that's celebratepoe at gmail.com. And please subscribe to this podcast so that you will not miss any episodes of Celebrate Poe. Well, thank you very much for making it thus far as we take a deep dive into the life, times, and influences of America's Shakespeare and how he has influenced our world. 
Now, I'd like to end with a version of Nobody Coming to Marry Me I Arranged Using GarageBand. This music was Eliza Poe's big hit on stage. Thank you. 